And before we uh, turn back to consider that portion of scripture uh, that we read, let's bow together uh, before God and uh, let's ask God for his help at this moment. Lord, we do indeed look to you for help because we are in great need of your help in these moments. And Lord God, we uh, so struggle to, to live uh, as your people in this land. We struggle desperate to uh, be a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are ever acutely aware of how brief life is, how short it is. And we want to live for you in these, these moments that we have in creation. And so we do pray, Lord, as we look to this, this difficult portion of Scripture, that we would encounter you, that we would hear from you. Lord, we know your, your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. So we have trust, Lord God, that you will speak to us that you will do a work in us. So we pray, we ask that you would give us receptive hearts, give us ears to hear, and we pray that we would see Christ in you, that we would understand more of the depths of your righteousness, who you are, and what you have done, and what you offer in Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen. Okay, even as a newcomer, a relative newcomer to this part of the world, um, I'm beginning to see that there are a number of different ways into the city of Dundee, a number of ways into the city. That's certainly the case, isn't it? If you're coming from the north, if you're approaching Dundee, let's say from Edinburgh, a couple of things you can do. There's a few things you can do. Uh, you can head up, what is it? I'm going to get the name of the road wrong, but A90, you can go up that direction via Perth, you could do that. You could come up towards Dundee, you could come up through the beautiful kingdom of Fife as well. There's any number of options that you've got at hand. Well, I suppose there's something similar going on here this morning, because you and I, we open up in God's Word, there's a question that rises up for us to wrestle with. Surely it is this. How are we going to approach this city this morning? How are we going to approach the city of Jericho? You understand the question. Of course you do. You realize there is so much here. Isn't it rich? Joshua chapter 6, there's so many themes going on in this portion. So what will, it, what will it be? Which route will we take? Will it be about the possibilities of faith? Because that's there. Will we think about this morning something of the necessity of obeying God and of obedience? That's there. How will we do this? What route will we take? Well, let me be um, blunt with you, up front with you this morning. Um, today's sermon um, might not be all that easy. Why? Because one of the chief functions of this portion of Scripture that we have read is to provide for you and for me a picture of the final judgment of God. Let me read this to you. Someone else says this, that this 
temporal destruction of Jericho, that it must be seen as a foreshadowing of the final judgment that God will mete out in the end of days. Picture for you, for me, of that eschatological judgment, that final judgment. Here's, here's the thing. That's the road that I think you and I have to take this morning. Perhaps simply to remind you and me of the urgency of this mission of the church, the urgency of our evangelism and witness, perhaps for that reason, perhaps that the Holy Spirit, consider this, in these moments might draw some people to Christ Jesus for salvation. This morning, you and I need to approach Jericho, consider Jericho, and to think about God's righteous judgment on sin. So, um, with these thoughts, can I ask you please to have a scripture open in front of you? If you've got younger people with you just now, make sure that they can see uh, God's words too. And, and, and let's think first of all about the fact that what we've got in front of us is a deserved judgment. A deserved judgment. That's the first thing to consider. I hope um, everyone can remember where we are in the book of, of Joshua. Uh, can we remember where we are? I suppose it's like, well, I've done this a lot, but I suppose it's like heading into a play after the interval. What we're doing this morning is you and I are entering into the second act of the book of Joshua. Is everybody with me? Do you see what I mean by that? So the first act of Joshua is chapters 1 to 5, and what we're dealing with, the preparations and the actual crossing of the Jordan. And then this morning, we're entering the second act, which is actually dealing with, or beginning to deal with, the conquest of the land itself. That's going to stretch the second act from this morning, chapter 6, right the way through into chapter 12. That's the second act of the book. Now, some of you like chit-chat. <laughs> Others of you uh, loathe pleasantries. So, how about this as a plan? How about we do away with small talk? How about we grab the bull by the horns? How about we deal with the big issue here? You know what it is, don't you? Is this chapter not an example of the cruelty of God? It's not just a scholarly objection, is it? An objection we face from unbelieving family and unbelieving friends. Come on! This city was slaughtered. Young, old, animals, everything gone. Is this not an example of wickedness, cruelty, evil from God? Well, to address that briefly, let me just remind you of what we've learned, I suppose, in the previous five books in the Bible about who these people are. I don't suppose there's that many of us this morning that got up extra especially early and read the Pentateuch. But if you had got up this morning and read the first five books of the Bible before you came here, what would be fresh in your mind as you came here about this? Who are these people? First thing, listen, first thing, who are these people? These are a people who pose, in a sense, a real threat 
to salvation. Can I read to you from Deuteronomy 20? We're asking, why do this? What is the rationale for Jericho? Let me read. Who are these inhabitants? Why would they be killed? Deuteronomy 20. Lest they teach the people of Israel their abominable practices. Lest they entice the people of Israel into sin. Why is Jericho destroyed? Do you see part of the rationale? Think about last week. That the land would not be defiled that these people would, the people of Israel, not be lured into idolatry, that God would not depart a people from whom a Savior must come. You see? It's the first thing. Second thing we learn in the Pentateuch, who were these people in Jericho? These were a people extreme in their evil. I'd love to know what you think about the Canaanites. I wonder what do you think about these, the people in Jericho? You know, what, what, what do we think? You know, the, the world sort of looks on and thinks, well, they can't be that bad. You know, the people of Canaan, they can't be that bad. Maybe a bit of drunkenness, maybe a bit of immorality, but nothing you wouldn't see in the Perth Road on a, on a Friday night. Is, is, are we guilty of perhaps thinking like that? Listen to Leviticus 18. So who are the inhabitants of Jericho? Listen. These were a people engaged in bestiality. These are a people engaged in temple prostitution, the most sordid kind. These are a people, in Joshua 6, who were engaged in child sacrifice. Are we guilty of thinking, oh, this is, this is, this is appalling. These, these people are just in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's just an innocent people, you know, faced with the, 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 the cruelty of God. Are you thinking like that? Nothing could be further from the truth. But then it's not just the Pentateuch that sheds light on the rationale here. Can I ask you to do this? Can I ask you to look at verse 1? Look at verse 1. Interesting. Now, do, do you notice what is emphasized here in verse 1? So Jericho, read it with me there. Jericho was tightly shut up. So no one went out of the city. No one went in. Now, can, can I ask, what, what do you think is going on there? Why is that mentioned? Why is that there? Well, what would you say? You, you maybe say it's to underline the power of God. Think about it. That Just as you remember, the Jordan was in flood season. Do you remember? So... You see, so here the city is, is barricaded to emphasize you, to the might of God, the power of God, the capabilities of God. That's true, but what else do we know? Listen, we know that the Canaanites need not have been destroyed. We know from elsewhere, here's a thought, we know from elsewhere, if this city had just opened its gates to the people of Israel, if this city had just opened themselves up to God in repentance and faith, we know, don't we, that mercy was available to Jericho. And yet, what is underlined straight off the bat, it's the same thing that was emphasized with the story of Rehab. What is, what is emphasized, what is underlined? They closed themselves. They barricaded themselves. They shut themselves up from God. These people were firm in their rejection of Yahweh, and if you in this room are not a Christian, 
doesn't it make you, even just for a moment, sit up and, and, and think? Look, friends, the stark truth is, everyone in this room in St. Peter's, every one of us deserves punishment. We, we deserve, to, by our nature, every single one of us, by rebellion against God, we deserve, we deserve, you deserve to be condemned. But if you're not a Christian, if you're not in Jesus Christ, what are you doing at this moment? By your unbelief, you, what, what are you doing? You're spitting in God's face, you're turning your nose up at his offer of salvation. What are you doing? You're standing behind a closed door. You have closed the door of the city to God. I say to you for the first time this morning, repent of your sin and flee for mercy to Jesus Christ. So we see a deserved judgment. Second thing that we see in Joshua 6 is a divine judgment, a divine judgment. So when John kindly came up to do the reading, John came up, um, I wonder what your... Uh, overall impression of the text was. Maybe it's been a while since you've read Joshua 6 as John went through it there. What was your abiding impression of the text? Dare I suggest that for some of us, maybe for many of us, it wasn't just how detailed this portion of Scripture is, because it's really detailed, isn't it? Do you notice the intricacy? But I would suggest it wasn't just that. Maybe your overriding impression was how strange some of the details of the destruction of Jericho really are. You with me? How strange and unusual. What I would long for you to appreciate is that nearly all of the particulars and the details of this chapter, all of them, like neon signs, they all exist to point you to one kind of overarching theme in this chapter. What's the theme? It's the theme that the destruction of Jericho was a divine work. You with me? Everything, all the details existing to point you to the fact this was the hand of the Almighty God in the destruction of Jericho. Now, you just think about that for a moment. Come on, think back to the reading. What did you notice? What details, what details did you pick up on, friends? Come on, think about it for a moment. You noticed, you noticed the Ark of the Covenant, didn't you? You noticed how many times... That's my, did you notice the fact that the Ark of the Covenant is sitting centrally in the procession around the city? What does that speak of? That speaks to you of the presence of the Almighty God that worked the Ark. What else did you notice? Come on. You noticed that it wasn't just warriors, it wasn't just soldiers, but it was priests who played this incredible role. You notice, what does that speak to? That speaks to the fact this was actually a religious activity, a sacred where it speaks to the presence of God alone. And you notice, what else? Come on. You notice the silence, didn't you, of the people speaking to their inactivity. You noticed the trumpets, the secret trumpets sounded, and everybody in here noticed how many days, how many days of activity were there, what was it, seven days, as in creation, again, speaking to you, shouting to you from the text of the presence of God at work. If you didn't get it, look at verse 2, because I could go on and on, but look at verse 2, what does it say? God says, I've done this. I, I am doing this. I have delivered Jericho. God says, I have done this. Now, at this point, let me just speak to the younger people. 
There's quite a few in here. I'm sure there's a few listening at home. Uh, look, you guys are well behaved, right? All the time, I'm sure. Is that right? A few nods. Yeah, no, I'm not buying it for a second. So, young people, you know, uh, you know exactly what it's like to get in trouble. You know that knot that you get in your stomach when you're in trouble, don't you? You know it? You know that. You also know, young people, <laughs> that the tightness of that knot, that sense of foreboding, <laughs> the tightness of the knot depends on exactly who you're in trouble with. Isn't that right? Come on. We all know it. It's one thing to be in trouble with your mum. Another thing to be in trouble with a headmaster. Right? So your mum might show you mercy. Headmasters. No. No. Or think about this one. One thing to be in trouble with your mum. Another thing altogether to hear that you're in trouble with the police. Isn't it? You see, like the, the greater the authority or the greater the consequences of punishment, the greater the sense of foreboding, the more frightening, the more frightening it is. And if you're not a Christian in this room, does Joshua 6 not give you pause for thought for a moment? Because surely you see what moment it is that you are being pointed to this morning by this portion of Scripture. What's going to happen? Listen to what's going to happen. One day the encircling of the earth is going to stop, isn't it? One day the people of Israel, Israel, the people of God, are going to enter the Sabbath rest of God. One day the trumpets will be heard. One day Christ Jesus shall return. And on that moment, if you're not a Christian, who will you stand before? What will be the authority that you stand before on that day? You know the answer? On that day, you shall stand before the judgment seat of the almighty and eternal God. Like Jericho, on that day, you are going to have to reckon with righteous wrath, righteous anger of an all-powerful and eternal God. And I am telling you, it's a really unfashionable thing to say. But I genuinely think you should be terrified of that. For your encouragement, to encourage you to run to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible, God's Word says this, it says that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A fearful thing And as it stands, if you are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the fate you face in death for the second time this morning. I appeal to you sincerely, see the warning, repent of your sin and find mercy in Jesus Christ. So we see it's a... We see it's a deserved judgment. We see that it's a divine judgment. Thirdly, we see that it is a devastating judgment. I know what you're thinking. I honestly know what you're thinking. You're thinking, it's intense this morning. You know, it's, it's heavy going. 
this morning from Joshua 6. Well, it's not quite going to lighten up just yet. (laughs) Because um, I guess in all seriousness, I I want to throw this out there to the congregation. I I do want to ask you this. Um, As a new minister, I guess, to the congregation, do do you think we at St. Peter's really believe in uh, everlasting punishment? Like, really believe in hell? Do we? Like, I know that, you know, if, if, I, if we went around the room, we would all adhere, I'm sure, most of us would certainly affirm the doctrine of hell. Do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? If you're, you're sitting there thinking, yes, I, I do believe it, then the follow-up to that, well, what, what, do you, what do you think hell is like? What is the experience of hell? What, what is going on there? What, what, what is it like? Well, if we accept this earlier premise that what we've got, what God's actually providing us in Joshua 6 is this picture of the final eschatological judgment, I actually genuinely believe that this chapter sheds light for you and for me on the experience of hell. We're learning about punishment, what that punishment is like in a couple of different ways from this portion of of Scripture. What do I mean? First of all, I think you're shown the comprehensiveness of God's punishment, the comprehensiveness of that. What do I mean? Well, I think you can probably appreciate this about my job just now, that I um, hear a lot of preaching. You can appreciate that, can't you? Just with presbytery responsibilities and students and that sort of thing. I get get to. It's a pleasure. It's a joy. I get to hear a lot of preaching. I'll let you into a little secret, though. Um, I I, I find it really naff um, when a preacher litters his sermon with original languages. I don't know if you're the same as, as I am or not, but if a, if a preacher goes in and fills a sermon with Greek and Hebrew words, then it's a little, it can be a little bit of show-offy, can't it? A little bit uh, naff. But rules are there to be broken, aren't they? Um, so this morning, I need to, I need to do this. I need to give you a Hebrew word you may have heard of. Listen to it and remember it for the rest of your life. So it's the word harem. I wonder if you've heard of it. Harem is an idea found often in the Bible, a very, very important idea. Listen to it. It is, yes, the idea of something being handed over to God. You with me? Consecrated to God entirely. Okay? Harem. That's part of it. Now listen. In the areas of conflict or where there is a situation of warfare, what's harem? Harem is taking something, consecrating it to God entirely by having it utterly destroyed. Okay, everyone with me? What's harem? In a warf, 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 warfare or conflict situation, easy for me to say. It's the idea of handing it over to God, consecrating it to God by having it completely destroyed. Now, no one in the room is surprised when I say, that we have this idea of harem a number of times in this portion of Scripture. You're not surprised by that. Why not? Because everyone who listened to the reading, everyone saw how utterly comprehensive this destruction was. Didn't you? What happens in Joshua 6? Come on. 
This procession goes round for six days. On the seventh day, what happened? Seven times circumnavigating this city and then what? A, a trumpet blast and a shout and the walls collapse and then what? Everything destroyed. You noticed it, didn't you? All living things, young, old, and the animals. What happens to the valuables? Did you pick up on it? The valuables taken to the treasury. What about everything else in that city? Did you notice? Everything else burnt up. Everything destroyed. Did you see how comprehensive this is? Everything is wiped out. And does that not speak of what lies ahead? Friend, if you are not a Christian in the room, I plead with you not to pin your hopes on some misguided idea that in the last you are somehow going to slip through God's fingers. It's not how so many people think. If you're not a Christian, don't pin your hopes to some misguided idea that somehow based on absolutely nothing, that judgment will somehow not come to your door. It will not be like that. Understand in the last, as was at Jericho, that the punishment of God will be comprehensive. Listen, all those who have remained unrepentant. Hear it again. All those, all those who remain unrepentant in the last will be condemned. It's comprehensive. But I said two ways. We're also shown here the longevity of punishment. In churches like ours, what, what's our church here? Free Church of Scotland? Yeah. Um, Presbyterian Church? You go in there. A Reformed Church? In churches like ours, however you want to label it, you and I know, we, we talk a lot about a covenant in Scripture, don't we? We talk about the promises in Scripture, the oaths in Scripture. Now, because of that, maybe this morning, what has jumped out and grabbed you by the scruff of the neck is actually the oath and the promise that is made right at the end of the portion of Scripture. If you didn't notice it, it's fine. Let's all look at it just now. Look, look with me to verse 26. Look at verse 26. I'll give you a second to find it. Right at the end of the chapter, chapter 6. Now, do you see what happens? There, Joshua promises that anybody who seeks to reestablish Jericho, anyone who seeks to put that foundation stone down again, they're going to be punished. Now, do you notice the detail? How are they going to be punished? There is a curse associated with this, isn't there? Now, look at the detail of it. If they lay the foundation stone, they will pay with the life of their firstborn son. Do you see, it's something actually, as an aside, something that we see later on in the Bible in fulfilled. I think it's 1 Kings chapter 16. So there's a man called, I'll get his name wrong, I think his name is Hiel. What does he do? He seeks to reestablish Jericho. He lays the foundation stone. What happens to him? The curse is what happens to him that he pays for that. He pays for it with the life of his firstborn son. Are you not with me when I say it could not be more solemn, this? I mean, it could not be more solemn. We're asking, what is hell like? Is there a, is there a reality in coming judgment? If so, what is it like? 
And what are we pointed to here? We are pointed to that that judgment like this will be ongoing. Like Joshua 6, it will be enduring, it will be perpetual. If you want to fight me on it, I'll simply, I'll quote your Lord. And Jesus says, it is such as the, the pristine nature of God's holiness, hell an eternal fire. It is a place where the worm does not die and the fires are never, ever quenched for the third time. You're not a Christian. Heed the warning. Repent of your sin and find mercy in Jesus Christ. And then the last thing, We've seen it as a deserved judgment. We've seen it as a divine judgment. We've seen it as a devastating judgment. The last thing, you've got to hear it. It is a diverted judgment. A diverted judgment. Um, you know, if, if, you're, if, you're not, if you're not a Christian, and maybe it's the first time you've been in the room, um, it's not like this every week. Um, and if, you've, if you're tuning in for the first time, Come back, <laughs> come back in uh, again tonight, Tuna. Um, but if you're not a Christian, I want to end. I've spoken to you, but I, I want to end by again directly speaking uh, to you. Look, think about what we've said. We've said not that we are better than anybody else, not a bit of it. We're saying that we deserve, all of us deserve punishment. We are saying that as it stands outside of Jesus Christ by your sin, what are we saying? We're saying that you, you stand in death to face this comprehensive and intense judgment of God. Righteous, right, correct, fear, judgment of God. So I'm going to anticipate, if you're not a Christian, a question. The question that you might ask right now is, can anything be done? I mean, is there any possible way of being delivered from this sort of judgment of God. Well, perhaps everybody in the room, every single one of you, please tell me, you noticed a familiar name in this portion of Scripture. Tell me you did. Tell me you noticed a name of a certain young woman that we looked at just a few weeks ago uh, from Joshua. Please nod your heads and say yes. We did we all? Yes, that's right. We, we, we saw mention of Rahab. Now, maybe you agree with me that it's quite surprising to see how often in Joshua 6, Rahab is mentioned. This is what I would expect. I would expect all of this detail of destruction and this throwaway line saying, oh, do you remember Rahab from chapter 2? She was saved. We remembered about her. And then we move on. That's not what happens in this portion of Scripture at all. Do you notice it? There's this alternating all the way through here. There's Rahab mentioned then it goes back to some of the details of destruction. Guess what happens? We go back to Rahab, then back to Rahab, then back to Rahab. If you had, here we go again, but if you had the Hebrew in front of you and other words before you, you would find that there are nearly as many words in Hebrew devoted to Rahab and a rescue as there are to the destruction of Jericho. Don't you hear it? I mean, don't you hear what the text is screaming at you? This didn't need to happen. This didn't need to happen. 
If these people like Rahab, if they had only turned from their sin to God, there was mercy. If this city, just like Nineveh, if this city had repented from their sin and turned to God, none of it had to happen. There was mercy available. They could be delivered. So we end with the objection you might have, though, if you're not a Christian, because you could be saying, well, how is that fair? You know, you've talked so often about righteous judgment, correct judgment. Rahab was right at the heart of the wickedness, wasn't it? What was she? I mean, she was one of those prostitutes, maybe even one of the temple prostitutes. So if you're not a Christian, maybe you say, how is that fair? How can, how can she be spared? How can, if we're all sinners, how can anybody be spared? The answer to that is the most beautiful thing. Listen, how can anybody be spared? Because out of love and his grace, the almighty God has provided a substitute to face the punishment and the judgment that we are due. Can I say that again? Out of his love, grace, God has provided a substitute to face all the punishment and judgment that we are due for our sin. And I would ask you, you know where it happens? You all know it happened at the cross. Can I ask you to look at Golgotha in light of Joshua chapter 6 and what happened there at that cross? What has God done? God has dealt with the curse. How has he done it? He gives for us his own firstborn. Now, consider the cross, look at the cross in light of this. What has happened there? But Jesus Christ, the matchless Son of God for you, has endured, what was the Hebrew word? Herem. He's endured holy war, that intense, comprehensive judgment of sin of God. Jesus Christ has endured it. What happened at the cross? Think of it. There, Jesus Christ was circumnavigated in judgment. What Psalm 22 say? For dogs encompass me. A company of evil, evildoers, they encircle me. There at the cross, what has happened, that just like the walls of Jericho, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, remember, righteous, perfect, sinless, the body of the Son of God collapses in death. Why? If you're not a Christian, why? All that this morning, this very hour, that you might have the opportunity to be delivered. You surely see what you need to do this hour, whatever date it is, in June 2021, this Sunday morning, what do you need to do? Is the answer not really obvious? You need to open the doors of the city. This morning, you need to open yourself to God. This morning, if you, if you came into this room not a Christian, you need to open your heart to Jesus Christ. He and he alone can offer you salvation Salvation from that righteous judgment of God. What am I going to? What am I going to say? How am I going to end this sermon? For the fourth time. For the last time. See your sin. See the righteousness of God. Repent of your sin. And flee to the only place you will find mercy. 
flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Lord, we tremble uh, when we are confronted with your holiness. We have to confess as Christians that we go about our daily routine in our life and so seldom consider uh, the future, the end, the fate of those who don't uh, come to Jesus Christ. We don't think about it. We don't linger on it. We don't speak about it. So we, we confess that and we ask, Lord God, that from this day forth that you would give us a newfound zeal in evangelism, that you would give us, burden us, we pray, with a, an urgency in our Christian witness, faced with the, the reality that you don't turn a blind eye to sin, Lord God that such is your goodness that you will punish sin in the last. And as Christians, each one of us, we pray to you just now, Lord God, that you would save those who are being in rebellion against you by unbelief. Lord, we pray that you would make new creations, even at these moments that you would bring people to know the joy, the delight, the wonder of the cross, the resurrection. And we pray that you would bring people to worship your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray all these things. Amen.